And welcome to Green the Geek Season Preview Edition. I'm John Bonus, TrimsDaily.com. With me in Minneapolis, Aaron Gleeman of the Athletic.com. Where are you? I am in Las Vegas. Of in course. The Planet Hollywood uh, Casino and Hotel, where I've been for too many nights. Truth be told, I'm going to be here yet one more night. So, uh, I when am, is the uh, when I'm is the out last of the dream. Time... The good news is I'm out of the dream state. I don't know. I don't want to know what that means. The dreams. The dreams. No, I don't want to know. The first forty-eight hours of KFAN, because those shows are three thirty to seven in the morning, that you basically don't know if you're awake or asleep or drunk or sober or what, because you're just you're trying to figure out. You're trying to go. You're going to bed at eleven and waking up at three thirty and drink until seven and then going back to sleep and then oh, I just, <laughs> I'm you're hitting saying, the reset button today. They're all leaving saying, today. I got one night in Vegas without the the rooms and the the power trip crazies with me. I'm going to have to give you the same speech I give you in these circumstances all the time, (laughs) which is you got to tone it down a a notch or two because you're like shot out of a cannon. Okay. You got to like breathe a little. (laughs) You Uh, are correct. uh, Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Like you said, this will be sort of our our season preview episode because... It's Saturday afternoon as we record this. The Twins opener opener is Thursday in Kansas right. City. Right. They've announced their opening day starter finally. Although yep. it's funny it that they were, thought. they were forced to do it. It's who I thought. Huh, I, I thought it was going to be Sunny Gray. I mean, at the beginning oh. of spring training, I thought it was going to be Sunny Gray. Oh, Doe Do figured it out Monday. Doe <laughs> sent me Doe Young Park, former guest, multi-time guest, and future guest uh, of the podcast. Who is maybe the only nerdier person than me, other than John? <laughs> sent me a. He was at a layover at LaGuardia or something airport, coming back from Belgium. Don't ask. And he sent me a spreadsheet, a color coded spreadsheet of the the Twins' schedule for the first like two weeks of the season and all of the starting pitchers. Right. And he said to me, "Read that. Look at this. Tell me I'm crazy or not." He said it has to be Pablo Lopez on opening day. And I looked at it. And he was basically saying Pablo Lopez is the only guy that they don't care about getting other than Joe Ryan, who they don't care about getting like extra rest or, you know, bump being able to bump him back. Like obviously with Maeda, especially they don't, they want to give him as much time as possible, right. all that stuff. So it, it lines up sort of nicely though, that a, I think Lopez is a deserving opening day oh, starter for it's sure. Fine. Yeah. And he's the only, like, Gray and Lopez to me are sort of equals. I would say I would maybe say Gray's had a obviously a better career, a longer career, but for sure, Lopez is also under team control for next season. Yep. Whereas Gray and Mally and Maeda, who are your other opening day choices, are free agents to be. And so if that's the tiebreaker, and then this also sets up Gray to start game two and Joe Ryan to start game three, which means uh, Sonny Gray can start the home opener. Right, which is next. I don't even know. Next, that's a week from Thursday. Week from next Thursday, two Thursdays yep. from now. Yep. Um, yeah, against Houston. So I think you know it doesn't really matter. I di- I didn't even remember who. Do you remember who started on opening day last year? I don't. I did. Joe Ryan. Yeah, but I didn't remember that. Yeah. 
uh, it wasn't. I mean, the but plan. it was Joe Ryan out of it was Joe Ryan out of default. Like, right. There was there was nobody else. Right. I mean, <laughs> Everybody else was hurt, or Sonny Gray was behind schedule. And right. Yes, it was like who do we have? Uh, Joe Ryan seems like a nice fellow. Let's do that. I, right. I mean, part of me is like Sonny Gray or Dylan Bundy or Chris Archer. Right. Chris Which, Archer, like it was like really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a for whatever you want to say about the Twins' rotation situation, and we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, I'm relatively optimistic. We'll talk more about this later in the show, but. One thing you can say is like it's much different than last year oh just God. in terms of what are we looking at day one. Last year we were looking at, you know, Bundy and Archer, and then who's after that? It was like, right. you know, uh, and then you had Paddock in the mix who all, uh, only ended up making five starts. Now there's some question marks, obviously, with Maeda and Mali and a bunch of other guys, but like this is just such a, a better situation. And just in general, I don't know. It's definitely, I don't know. I, it's hard to say, like, is this the best on paper? the best twins rotation since X year. Like I had been saying since the Johan prime days. Right. But a, that's not saying that much really. Right. Like they haven't had that many good rotations since in the last 10 years, let's say, but also it's, it's hard to compare like a Johan led rotation <laughs> where he was literally the best pitcher in the world for three years versus like, Oh, this one, well, they just don't have any weak spots basically. Right. Right. Uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yes, this is our uh, our last free show before the opener. We'll probably right. do a Patreon episode. I'm get, when do you get back? I get back tomorrow. Oh, so we'll probably do a Patreon. We will do a Patreon before Monday or Tuesday or something. Probably, like that. I think maybe a pre-opening day mailbag. Something. Yeah, like that's that. a good call. The, yeah. This is our. I, I I'll give one last uh, plea. I don't know to people who enjoy <laughs> this show that you're currently listening to, which we call the free show, the weekly show. If you like this, it would be a perfect time to join us, our little kind of private club for for midweek Twins Talk uh, on the Patreon side. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We do one or two episodes there per week that are exclusive to Patreon subscribers. They are commercial free. Once in a while, we drop a curse word. We do mailbag <laughs> episodes. We well, depending guests. on how the team's going, we can drop multiple curse yeah. words, actually. Right. <laughs> True. Uh, and they're, they cost $1 per episode, and you're only charged when we put out new episodes. So mm-hmm. if we go a full week without putting out a new Patreon, it doesn't cost you anything. Right. So, yeah, if you've been on the fence about joining, perfect time to join us. You're starting up right right when the season goes. We're Like John said, we'll probably do Monday or Tuesday. We'll do like a here. Here's your final questions, your mailbag questions before things get underway. Uh, maybe we'll have a guest on or something like that the next week, and then we'll just be rolling one or two episodes. So we would love to have you Patreon.com. We started. Yeah, we we started this episode. We started this podcast in, what eleven years ago now, right? Or maybe twelve years ago, right? Two thousand eleven, uh, right? August two thousand eleven. Yeah, eleven yeah, and yeah. a half years ago. August, uh, we started it in part because we were frustrated that there wasn't enough deep dive twins content, uh, audio content out there. Right. And, you know, we tried to do that, but we could only do it once a week, uh, <laughs> given the uh, limits that we had in advertising. Uh, but, you know, yeah. when 2019 happened and people were like, hey, we would like more of that. <laughs> Uh, we started out on the Patreon, and that's uh, so. If you are somebody who is continually frustrated, I can't get enough Twins talk on the radio or something like that. I would suggest maybe you sign up for that Patreon. Patreon dot com slash Gleeman. I like how you say we could only back in twenty eleven we could only do it once <laughs> a week. What you don't say is I didn't have enough money to do it more than once a week because <laughs> right. we would record it <laughs> right yeah. at, at like a bar or a restaurant, and we right. would eat and drink 
well, we did it. And then right. at the end of the night, they would say, here's your bill, because that's what happens at a bar <laughs> or a restaurant when you do those things. And then at the end of the year, John would send me uh, an invoice and he'd say, well, you owe me uh, $2,100 for this podcast that we're doing. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a, a horrific business decision. <laughs> Luckily, a decade later, it turned around. We're almost we're almost in the black. We're, we're the almost podcast. even. <laughs> yeah. You got to you got to spend money to make money, right, John? We did that for so. many years. I guess so. Uh, okay, so um, yeah. So thanks everybody for sticking with us during the off season. This is the part yes. that gets fun. This is the fun. Yes, part. it is. That's right. Just yeah. Hopefully it gets forgot. fun. Well, yeah. The whole point of this preview is going to be: is it going to be fun? We'll see. We'll see if it's going to be uh, fun. So last week on this show, we did our annual over under picks for all the American League teams, including the Central and the Twins. And so if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. It's sort of our way of previewing, kind of putting our money where our mouth is on a lot of these teams. And we made over-under picks, including with the Twins. Their over-under actually jumped up from right. what was 80. At one point this offseason, like at the pre-Korea re-signing, it was 81 and a half. I think it was and 81 then, and a half going into spring training, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, it might have been. Even after the Korea signing. And Don, then, but that Donovan Solano thing changed everything. Yeah, he's a, he moves the needle. <laughs> Donovan, Donnie Barrels moves the needle. And then, but by the time I went to uh, Bavada to pull the lines, like we always do for the show, last week, they were eighty three and a half, and they in fact had tied the White Sox, who were had the second place in the AL Central uh, win total at the beginning, and the White Sox lost a win off their total during spring training, basically. Right. Now, maybe that's meaningless, but... Well, and, I'll, so, and I'll tell you, in Vegas, now, it's 84 and a half. Really? Yeah, it's up to 84 and a half now, which, on the one hand, first of all, it makes it harder to bet the over. Well, wait, I have a theory. <laughs> I have a theory. You yeah. said you're in the you're in the planet Hollywood. Well, that's, that's true. The, that's the... Wait, no, I'm not dissing the planet Hollywood, but hear me out. That's the sports book you looked at, I'm assuming, to get the line? Uh, that is what people are telling me around here. Yes, okay. that's, yeah, right. Caesar sports. Now, perhaps someone at Planet Hollywood knew that there were several hundred rubes <laughs> literally flying in from Minnesota this weekend and thought, let's bump some of those Vikings, Twins, Wolves, and Wild props up a win. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Planet Hollywood does not operate on its own, right? It's part of the right. Caesar Sportsbook Network. I like There's my way better. There's 15 casinos though. that are Caesar Sportsbooks yeah. on here. They all move up at the same time at 84 my, and a half. My way's uh, funnier, John. <laughs> but yeah, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, well, that makes it a little bit harder to bet on the over, even though I, I put my personal number, I think, at 87 last week, right? Uh, on the other hand, it is good to see money is moving. Like we ain't moving the needle. The couple hundred folks that we've got, the couple hundred rooms no. that are here, uh, we ain't moving the needle. It feels to me like you know, overall, people who bet a lot of money on sports are taking a look at the Twins and going, "That seems like an undervalued property right now." Yeah, at eighty, I mean, eighty-one I, and a half, eighty-three and a I half. Even, uh, talking to some like national writers, because what happens every year is like national writers from you know some of my favorite writers start doing their previews and they're like oh, i don't know much about the twins so i get a dm or an email or text or whatever and it's like tell me about this tell me about that and i was talking to one of my favorite writers uh, a couple a couple nights ago and he was saying like am i nuts or like should the twins be the favorite in the central 
And I'm like, I don't want to go that far because I got PTSD from September. But <laughs> right, I do right, think right. there's a sense, whether you're just focusing on over-under lines that we just talked about, whether you're focusing on, you know, like fan graphs or baseball prospectuses, projection systems, which essentially have the Twins and Guardians tied for first place on paper with the White Sox a distant, relatively distant third, or you're just, you know, doing what we're going to do here in a minute and kind of going through the roster and talking about some of the bigger things. I mean, I, I think this is a pretty pretty good team in a pretty weak division. I also think that was true for two thirds of last year too. Like the proof right. of concept is not that difficult here. Like we saw, they were in first place on September fourth last year. They were tied right. for first, and they led the division for over you know two third, basically two thirds of the season. So I think it's while it seems weird to watch what we watched in September, and then come into the next spring and be like you know i'll take the over they might they probably could win the division blah 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 if you would have told anybody that in july or august i think they would have been like well yeah they're they're in first place right now so i don't know it's a weird it's a weird when the bottom falls out it's hard to kind of logically view where they're actually at right i mean i'll I'll, i think we're about to get to this topic and i think it's a good topic to go into i'm almost at the point now where i feel like uh with the events that we have seen the last week and a half in terms of the lineup and such that we're also, I'm starting to feel like it's a little bit overvalued that, that there's a weakness on this team that you know, we've been talked a lot about the depth and the depth is great, but there's a weakness on this team offensively right now that I'm not sure is recognized overall because they still see the names out there. But then you start going, what does the lineup actually look like on this on this team. And then I get a little more nervous when I start taking a look at, at the actual lineup, which may, frankly, we, we might be seeing kind of that lineup today uh, as they play yeah. the Braves uh, at, in the home game. They've got well, a split squad today and they basically, it looks like they've got almost the starting lineup out there for the home half of that uh, split squad game versus the Braves. Which we can just read you the lineup and you can, mm-hmm. you guys can freak out about that. If you want. <laughs> but yeah, aside from catcher, cause Jeffers is starting. To right. Catch that's right. Yeah, Vasquez that's right. will be the starter, but yeah, right. well, I think and we can get into this right now. Cause one of the things we wanted to do before we got into like a more formal preview was talk about news and notes, which is all injury based, which it has been for five years now. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like at the start of every show, I go, let's, first, uh, before we get into our topic, let's talk about the news. Then it's just all injuries, but they've said, and to your point, you know, the sort of depth on paper that we talked all offseason about and they clearly made a priority and was going to be a strength of the team, they've already had to tap into that and they're not right. even out of spring training yet. And I think Correct. it's one thing to have it in your head that, well, hey, they got a bunch of more depth this year. They're in good shape this year, especially with the lineup, blah, blah, blah. But that's not a constant. Like that, you don't lock that in for the whole season and you don't just get good depth for the whole season. And, you know, right now they announced three different things that, you know, clarify some injury situations. It's not the worst case scenario, but I would say it's the second to worst case scenario here. <laughs> uh, you know, worst case might be a we, little much, but what we, I mean is we could have got, we could have included Jose Miranda in that someplace too. <laughs> well, okay. But here's, okay. Here's what I mean. So what they announced right. uh, the past few days is Jorge Polanco will begin the season on the injured list with the same knee problems that ended his season in August last year, so seven months ago. Uh, what bone bruise and tendonitis in his left knee, I think, is the official uh, wording on that. Alex Kirilov will begin the season on the injured list with the two wrist surgeries that he had the past two years. Um, just no, no setback really with him. At least 
publicly. Uh, he's been playing in some minor league games recently. All the quotes from him that I've seen uh, the last week or so have been pretty optimistic. He was optimistic early in camp when I was there too. I think with him, it's more, he just needs a little bit more time, which is not a so surprise. When they say beginning on the IL, are they basically say, are they also saying as a rehab assignment in St. Paul? Or are they saying, no, he's going to be sticking around for extended spring training oh. or what? Like, yeah, that I don't know. I mean, that, that um, to me is uh, <laughs> that that to me is an important piece because you can only be on the rehab situation for so long, right? So if, they, if they're doing that with Polanco, well, what is it, four weeks? Well, no, he, but you don't have to start the rehab. You can start the rehab anytime you want. Like you can, what I mean is once you start the rehab, a hitter gets 20 days. Right, but they right. don't have to start the. I mean, they can. No, they don't have just, to. But that's my point. Is is that is, are we going to be seeing Polanco in St. Paul playing, or are we going to be seeing Polanco staying behind in Fort Myers, working on stuff on minor league fields or something? Right. Oh, I'll bet they'll stay behind in Fort Myers at least for a couple, you know, couple weeks. Okay. Like, I mean, that's pretty common. Extended spring training is fairly common. I mean, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, St. Paul starts their their schedule, but here's the thing. They they continue to put forth optimism with Polanco, right? But they've been doing the that idea, since August, <laughs> right? I mean, like I I just think at some point, like what what are we talking about here? Like, well, if the thought process is he's going to be back in like three weeks anyway. It's going to be just a short term. Well, yes. then then why isn't he in rehab? <laughs> right? Like well, you've got three weeks of rehab. Yeah, but they're never going to send him for twenty day rehab. Like I mean, we saw with Bucks and he'd play two games and he'd come back. Like I, I mean, I think it's the same discussion we had about the value of spring training games versus live batting practice and all that stuff. Like yes. if they think Jorge Blanco is going to come back three weeks into the season, which to me would be optimistic given what's happened over the last seven months, they're going to have him. I'm assuming in two, Fort two Myers, weeks, of, yeah, two weeks for Fort yeah. Myers or one week in St. Paul. Yeah. I Something like that. that. Now, it could be a little different if he just wants to be in town for opening day and be with the team or something like that, maybe, sure. Polanco. Right. Um, but, yeah. Then the, the third thing that they announced is that Buxton, you know, knock on wood, he's got a couple more games to play here. I wouldn't put anything past him from the injury standpoint. But <laughs> Buxton will be active on the opening day roster, which is why I said it's not a worst-case scenario because all three of them being on the injured list would be the worst-case scenario. But he will be limited – uh, mostly to designated hitter duties, they said, early in the season, whatever that means, which means opening day is going to be the DH, right. um, which, you know, he played quite a bit of DH last year while he was trying to manage the the knee problem. I think they added Michael Taylor as his quote-unquote backup, specifically right. because, A, Buxton's going to miss time. We know that. He's never had a healthy season, basically, other than once. And even if when he's healthy, he's going to sit some games out. He's going to be DH at times. So Taylor was in line for a big role. I certainly think, you know, this is a change in plans, even relative to the beginning of spring of to say, oh, he's going to be the primary DH early on. I'm not saying it's a bad plan. I mean, here's the truth about it. They try something new every year trying to keep him healthy, right? I mean, right. some years it's just let's throw him out there and let him play as long as he can. And then he gets hurt last year. You know, he had knee problems basically since day one. And they were like, how can we let, how can we get it so that he can be at 85% four or five times a week to play? And we saw eventually that, you know, was a mess and he had to shut that down. Now it's like, well, what if we start him out mostly as DH? And then as the season wears on, if he's still able to 
be the DH, which they want his bat in the lineup, obviously, then we'll start to incorporate more center field action. And then maybe his legs are stronger by that point and all that. Do, do they know this is going to work? Does the new trainer, Nick Paparesta, is this some big, brilliant scheme that he's been working on for 20 years and he's implement? No, it's they sit right. down and they go, well, what can we try? Like, what can we how right. how can we keep him healthy? And it's possible there isn't a way to keep him healthy. But yeah, I mean, what my my point on Buxton has always been or lately, I guess, has been that you either you either try to be proactive about about this or you're going to end up being reactive about it, right? The, sure. The knees just don't hold up, right, at this point. <laughs> right now, they just don't hold up, or the body just doesn't hold up. So, I mean, you could be critical about them, you know, maybe not pushing him or not letting him play center field or taking away a lot of his value by and, – and, and let's be clear, it does take away a lot of his value to be moving from center field to DH. Like sure. what it essentially means is I'm getting Michael Taylor as a full-time person in this on this team, and – you know, it, it would be the same as if you had Buxton playing center field and Michael Taylor as DH. Well, you don't you right. don't sign Michael Taylor as a DH, right? That's, that's yeah. not Michael Taylor. Right? To your to your point, what you're basically doing, you know, I first of all, I do think defensively, Buxton is the best center fielder I've ever seen. However, Buxton at less than 100 percent at right. age, you know, whatever he is, 28, 29, knee problems. Who knows where he's at right now? is not the best center fielder in the world. He's probably a very good center fielder. Whereas Michael Taylor is legitimately one of the handful of guys that I think is on Byron Buxton's level in center field. So there's no real drop off defensively. And I think it's possible that a fully healthy Michael Taylor is actually a slightly better center fielder defensively sure. than a compromised Byron Buxton. But to your point, the real trade off then is you're, you're essentially swapping out whatever you were going to get offensively from a rotate rotating mix of dhs right you know miranda and larnick and you know who whoever it's going to be right gordon and whoever for michael taylor or if not <laughs> only michael taylor whoever ends up playing center field gordon will play some center field gallo might play some center field whatever it is right and that i mean michael taylor is not going to be anywhere near as good as even a rotating cast of kind of mi middle of the road designated hitter candidates but you know if the alternative is you know, do you want Buxton in the lineup as a bat, or do you want Buxton playing three times a week as a center fielder or something right. like that? I mean, I do right. think that's a debate to be had, and I'm sure, sure. they had that debate. Right. But it, it seems logical to me. The problem just is nothing is guaranteed. Like you can have a great plan for it, you can have a logical plan for it, you can take it slow, you can take it fast, you can do whatever. But he's either going to get hurt or he's not, and most of the time he's going to get hurt. So, I mean, there, this goes back to the thing we talked about with depth. It's great to look at it in January and say, well, hell, this is pretty good. They got Byron Buxton in center. He's great. We know he's going to miss time, but this time around when he misses some, some action, they got Michael Taylor to plug in. Well, that's great, except right. now it's March 25th, and Michael Taylor's the starting center fielder. Right. Byron yeah. Buxton's your DH and you know, listen, that, it's, you're already it, into the depth, basically. Right. It, I mean, it's better it, better than if you know Michael Taylor wasn't around. Uh, right. Then we'd be looking at, hey, we, Gilberto. So, 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 oh nope, he's hurt too. Uh, and we're back to where we were in 2020 when we're just randomly right. calling up guys from Double Eight or whatever. Or Ralph Snyder is playing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ralph Snyder is playing center field yeah. because 
They're trying to trade for they're trying to trade for Jake Cave from the Phillies. Now, what <laughs> yeah, right, to... exactly. Where is Jake Cave? We miss Jake Cave so much. Like yeah. that is where we could be right now. So yes, this is better than that, right? But I think, and I think we'll get back to this after we talk about our sponsor. But I want to get into like, where does this, where did this this trio of bad news leave the lineup? for opening day and for the first couple of weeks of April and the first couple of weeks of May, when they have some heavy hitters on the schedule during April and May. So, uh, but before we talk about that, let's talk about opening day because an opening day, you're going to get to try out one of the sponsors that have been uh, repeatedly uh, mentioned here, forgotten star brewing. We always talk about forgotten star brewing because they've got this great locale, this absolutely fantastic brewery that, which is in an old world war II production facility, right along the train tracks near East river road and 49th Avenue, Northeast. It's in Fridley, but maybe 15 minute drive outside of maybe not even that 12 minute drive outside of uh, downtown Minneapolis. Uh, it's got this big E and six stars on it. And th- those are historic as well. They won gold medals at the great American beer festival, uh, all kinds of great stuff on tap. But on top of the outdoor outdoor space with fire pits, like it was just a well done place. And to prove that they're well done, they are also doing a big event for opening day, which Twins Daily is uh, going to be doing. And I think uh, actually Twins Daily the next three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think we're going to have stories kind of revealing all the different things that are going on there. But it comes down to free beer, Twins watch game. You watch the Twins home opener and we've got a meat raffle. And Not it's the home going opener, the road opener. I'm sorry, road opener. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, the yes. opener yes. opener. Yes, the thirtieth from three o'clock to six o'clock, we will be having. You show up, you get one free beer. That's on Twins Daily and Forgotten Star. We'll take care of you. We've got uh, Groat Beef doing all kinds of prime steak giveaways and so on. We've got Forgotten Star giving away hundreds of dollars worth of gift cards. We've got Soda Stick, who you know, also a longtime sponsor, handing away prints and such uh, in between the innings. So, I mean. What else are you going to be doing on opening day? Let's go. Yeah. Forgotten Star, 3D6, opening day. Hang out with John. Hang out with the Twins Daily crew. Have some beer at Forgotten Star. Uh, and, and go to twinsdaily.com for more details on that. Yes. Or John's been tweeting out the details. Yeah. Uh, our other sponsor that we wanted to talk about is uh, renewed for this season, <laughs> which I take to mean that several of our nerdy listeners have, shocking. have, have found shocking how, me. <laughs> how valuable baseball references stat head uh system is which i found out like 20 years i've been paying i've been paying subscriber to this for 20 years or Me however too. many years they've had yep. it yeah it is truly and i've said this before like they send us talking points to talk about sponsors like hey guys mention this i don't need any talking points i've been paying <laughs> for this product this is i i'm not being hyperbolic with this the most essential single thing for me doing my job over the last two decades that there is other than like a laptop computer, the, the ability to look up almost literally anything, any weird thing that's pops into my head about a baseball statistic or a baseball fact, or go find a box score from 1982 that I randomly heard some story about. (laughs) You can get all that on stat head on baseball reference. It is, you will like, if you've never tried it and you're thinking, why is he going so nuts for it? You will be yeah, shocked right. by the amount of information that is at your fingertips uh, with this thing. And I think about a week ago, I'd used it too. I was trying to get like which major league baseball players and particularly which twins 
have hit left-handers especially well or especially poorly over the last three years. Right. And yeah, here's this from 2020 to 2022. I ended up using some of these stats on this podcast. And in that story, you know, there have been 325 players who have had at least a hundred right. plate appearances versus left-handed and Max Kepler ranks 385th out of 425 <laughs> or something like that. You know I mean? That's what I, what I always say is all these stats that I tr- tweet out like during games, like right. somebody will hit two homers and I'll say he's the youngest guy to hit two homers for the twins since whatever <laughs> that I'm getting that from Stathead. I'm yeah, of course. That. Right. Of course so you can do that too. And they have a special offer for Gleamity and the geek listeners. Go to baseballreference.com. You'll see the Stathead uh, product that they offer. Click on that. It's just a whole database that's searchable. It's it's beautiful. Um, or just stathead.com, by the way. Yeah, stathead.com works. also works. And the promo code when you go to sign up is just Gleeman, G-L-E-E-M-A-N, and they'll take $20 off your annual subscription. And like I said, I've been paying full price gladly. I don't want to say this, but like I'd pay double. I'd probably pay triple uh, if they were like, yeah, keep it, keep it quiet. But stathead.com or go find stathead on baseball reference and uh, you too can uh, tweet out. Can stats. nerd out. Yeah. Be, a, be a, a top level nerd with us. Okay. So yeah, about the, like the domino effects of the lineup. Right. We I should mean, say, you mentioned this briefly, but we should say like Miranda looks, I think, not today. Today, he's going to play D, uh, third base for the first time. Okay, right. Uh, I think, or maybe tomorrow. Um, but he's been cleared to to throw again, basically. And my assumption is he'll be in the opening day lineup at third base, barring a setback. So that's good news on the injury front, especially because DH is no longer open because Byron Buxton is your DH. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So, sec. Let's talk about second base because Polanco is out at second base. He's their longest tenured player. He's been their starting second baseman since he moved from shortstop when he was their starting shortstop for several years. Uh, I feel like Polanco is kind of perpetually underrated just in the grand scheme of the twins. Uh, He was their team MVP unanimously in 2021. If he hadn't got hurt at the end of last year, and last year for him was a down year by his standards, but he was still probably one of the five most valuable twins until the point that he stopped playing. You know, I think he's had some ups and downs because of, ankle problems and now knee problems and years ago the the half season suspension for for peds but just in general he's been you know a top five hitter at his position whether that's shortstop or second base pretty consistently uh in the american league last year which like i said down year he had a sub 240 batting average but he drew a ton of walks he had 16 homers in 100 games he had a 117 OPS plus last year, which was third best among all American League second basemen. The only ones that were better were the two all-star second basemen, Jose Altuve and uh, Jim Jimenez from Cleveland. So right. that's what we're dealing with. That's that's going to be tough to replace. Um, you know, switch hitter, solid defensively, team leader, all that stuff. They are, though, relatively well-equipped, I think, to replace him in the short term, you know, you can do a few things. One is when he went down last year at the end of August, I think he missed the last 37 games. I want to say Nick Gordon took over as the primary second baseman. And, you know, there's some rough spots to Nick Gordon defensively even at second base, but you know, to, to turn back to that as a, your primary means of replacing Polanco, I think is pretty logical and straightforward in that, you could basically have a platoon at second base right. 
right. where Gordon is what we call the strong side of the platoon, which means he's a left-handed hitter. So he plays against right-handed pitchers, which is generally somewhere between two thirds and three fourths of your opponents, depending on, you know, what the other teams in the division have as the rotation, but let's call it, you know, 70% of the games will be started by a right-handed pitcher. Um, you know, offensively, if he's the guy we saw in the second half of last year, Nick Gordon, you know, he's not that far off from Polanco uh, as a left-handed bat against right. I was going to say versus right-handed pitching. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think although although that's also Polanco's strong side yes, too. <laughs> but I mean, Gordon is a real solid left-handed left-handed hitter. Now, to do that well, you know, you could just trot Gordon out there every day at second base and just have him replace Polanco. But there's going to be weak spot in the lineup then against left-handed pitching because Gordon, like most left-handed hitters, is not a good hitter against left-handed pitchers. But right. that's where some of the depth comes in. So if you wanted to, you platoon Gordon as the left-handed uh, part of the platoon. And then you need to pair him with a right-handed hitter. Well, they have Kyle Farmer, who can play all over the infield and has been playing quite a bit of, of second base this spring. He crushes lefties. I think he slugged, I don't know, 530 against them the past couple of years. Yeah, 880 power. OPS over the last... This, this is from Stathead. 880 yeah. OPS over the last three years uh, by, by Kyle Farmer versus left-handed pitchers. Right. Now, <laughs> the tricky part there is... And again, you could also just say Kyle Farmer's our everyday second baseman. And right. I think defensively, that would be their best solution. Uh, he's the best defender of the group that we're going to talk about. But against righties, right. similar to Gordon against lefties, you know, he's going to be a number nine hitter. You're not going to want that. So, but to platoon Gordon against righties and Farmer against lefties, you know, you're going to get some some pretty good production there. It's not going to be that far off from Polanco. Now, the value of Polanco is he brings that in the form of one player, obviously. Right, right. The, the tricky part, though, about Farmer is that he's also the number one backup at shortstop and third base. Now, Correa, if healthy, is not going to take many days off, but he'll take the occasional day off. So you, Farmer will likely play shortstop on those days. And then we talked about Miranda's shoulder. Now, if Miranda is fine, he'll play third base every day probably. Right. But early on in the season, my guess is they're going to limit his workload at third base. Maybe he plays some DH, maybe he plays some first base, maybe he takes a day off or two, in which case you're probably going to want Farmer to replace him at third base. So on those days, well, who's the right-handed part of your platoon at second base? Well, they have uh, Donovan Solano, right. who since 2019 has, this is again from Stathead, has hit 321 against left-handed pitchers, including 300 or higher in all four seasons against left-handed right. pitchers. Yeah. Uh, so again, an ideal offensively, an ideal platoon partner for Gordon, who's a left-handed hitter. The, you know, the problem with Solano is he was signed mostly to be a first base DH because he's 35 years old, but he's played like, I don't know, 3000 career innings at second base. Assuming he just hasn't lost multiple steps defensively, which is possible at his age. You know he'll be fine at second base. He's certainly you know familiar with the position. He's experienced at the position. So my assumption, although maybe not, maybe not a lot better than Gordon, truth be told. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's we'll, we'll see. Yes, I agree. It's going to be. I, I don't think Polanco is a great second baseman, and certainly if he's banged up, he's not a great second yes, baseman. Right. Yep. But I think Gordon is a below average second baseman defensively. I think Solano at thirty five, you can probably count on him not being above average. I think Farmer is a good second baseman, but yeah, it's going to be harder to replace Polanco defensively than it is offensively. I think with that trio, but they're in relatively good shape. Now, if Polanco then isn't ready in three weeks and it stretches into May and June or, you know, knock on wood here, 
he needs surgery or it becomes a significant knee problem. I mean, it's already been seven months. I don't think that's outlandish to speculate about. Right. Well, then you go, okay, then are we going to play the whole first half, let's say, with that trio kind of combining to fill second base? But at that point, you're hoping that Ed Julian's <laughs> right. down there with a 450 on base percentage at, at St. Paul. <laughs> right. Uh, down there, over there uh, in St. Paul. <laughs> or, you know, and or Royce Lewis is ready in June or July. And right. or... Brooks Lee is hitting 300 with, uh, you know, walks and power wherever he gets assigned to begin the season. And or uh, Austin Martin has avoided surgery on his elbow and is potentially playing well. All four of those guys have a lot of long-term upside offensively, are essentially major league ready if they can get healthy and produce right away, and are capable of being second baseman. Now, they vary defensively. You know, Julian's on the low end. I would say, you know, Martin is probably on the high end as a second baseman, assuming he's healthy, Lewis, I think could be a really good second baseman, but we got to see how he is just in general coming back from the knee surgery. But so like in the short term, you got Gordon and farmer and Solano that you can platoon and mix and match. And you should be able to do pretty well. If Polanco's out longer than let's say a month, then Ed Julian enters the mix in which case you're maybe taking a hit defensively, but you're adding a potential impact bat offensively. And then if it really becomes an issue, like for the whole first half into the second half, or you're at the point where you're starting to say, well, unfortunately, Polanco's $10 million option for next season maybe isn't looking so good. Right. Uh, then you start to go, well, maybe Royce Lewis is your long-term second baseman. Maybe Brooks Lee, maybe you know Austin Martin, maybe Julian improves right. a little bit defensively. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you're losing a key player, but I can't imagine a team being like better equipped that's in true. Term, in the intermediate term and in the longer term to actually replace their second baseman. I mean, I agree with you on that. Uh, the question becomes, uh, I'll, I'll react to that two ways. Worry me. The first is, okay, now we've already used up our depth. <laughs> right. Like if Miranda, you already mentioned, if Miranda can't play third base or his shoulder acts up again, what do we do? If Correa has to miss two weeks because of tendonitis or something, what are we doing? Kyle Farmer's moving over there, right? Not to mention... These guys were all options to step in and, you know, have a good right-handed bat like Kyle Farmer versus left-handed pitchers at DH or something. Now we don't have, you know, that extra mm-hmm. level of depth to play in either of those two, you know, first base or DH position that we were talking about. The second is this, and this is like, here's what worries me a little bit from a, you know, rather than kind of get down to the details, here's, here's what worries me. There were four guys offensively I trusted last year. In that lineup, right? Larissa Rise, he's gone. <laughs> Correa looks good. Polanco, he's gone. <laughs> he's missing, right? And Buxton, he's there, but now he's uh, now he's playing DH and he's not center field, which means I'm going to see a whole lot more Michael Taylor in this offense, right? If I'm trying to figure out how I'm getting back to four really good guys in the middle, or four guys I kind of trust through the heart of that lineup, well, I'm looking, okay. Let's hope Gallo bounces back because he's going to be playing a lot of first base, right? Uh, let's hope Kepler bounces back. Let's hope Miranda takes yet another step forward, has another big season step forward the way he has the last two years. I'm actually really optimistic about that one, right? Uh, uh, Larnick, can he stay healthy and hit the way we kind of hoped? Kirilov, can he get healthy? Suddenly, all of these questions right. that were – 
you know, kind of backup questions, <laughs> you know, like I will be, listen, if Gallo doesn't work out, we can cut him midway through the season. We don't need, you know, he's on a one-year contract. We, nope. Nope. We need Gallo. We need somebody, somebody in there to step forward and take, take over the middle of the, I'm, I'm not so much worried about who's handling things in the field and whether or not they can also be productive offensively. I'm just kind of looking at where is like the offensive, where's the offensive peak on this lineup right now. Right. And, and I, I, I see, I don't see any valleys. I don't see as many valleys as we saw certainly like last September when it was valley, 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 you know, <laughs> but I don't see the, I don't see the peaks either. And that's what, that's why when even a couple of weeks ago, when we said of the three things I'm worried about with this team, rotation, bullpen lineup, which one am I most worried about? I think I'm still most worried about the lineup. I think I'm more worried about the lineup than I am about the bullpen at this point yeah i mean on one hand if they hadn't assembled the additional depth of farmer and solano and michael Taylor, right right it'd already be a mess right now right I mean, right here we go yes. again so that's good but you know now you're kind of you don't have depth anymore you've used it right you've used the depth already to just get back to a place where you're just kind of normal I'm already so to the backup somebody, to the backup uh, level. Right. <laughs> I'm almost to the backup to the backup level. Yeah. Right. I do. I think that I have a little bit of optimism in that they do have guys like Julian, guys like right. Walner, right, uh, and then midseason guys like Royce Lewis or Brooks Lee or whoever who are ready to take on big roles if needed, which is different from last year. But yeah, I I completely agree, and I would say weirdly because we spent 20 years watching a Twins team that was just all lefties. The line, <laughs> right. You know, going back to the Jock Jones, uh, Minkiewicz, Koski days, and then obviously Mauer, right. Morno, all the Denard Span, everybody. Um, they're really short on lefties because right. Kirloff, and obviously Polanco's a switch hitter, but primarily a lefty. Kirloff and Polanco, you're removing. You also, like you pointed out, are removing Luis Arise, right? Like a career 330 hitter against righties as a lefty. Correct. You know, you're counting on Gallo, you're counting on <laughs> Kepler. Uh, <laughs> Kepler and you're counting on Larnick. I mean, I think the Kirilov, you know, we talked about how they'll likely replace or how they could replace uh, Polanco at second base. How will they replace Kirilov? Well, you know, I would kind of argue they're not replacing him. Like he right. was never really fully, but, you know, penciled in at first base DH. I just think it's going to be Larnick, but I think it's going to be Larnick in left field or at DH and then some Gallo or a lot of Gallo initially at first base. But then again, you need Larnick to be healthy. I still, I'm a, I'm a believer in Larnick. Like I am too. last, last week, or I guess this week, earlier this week, I did like a five picks to click for the twins. And basically I, I limited myself to players who have never had two wins above replacement in a season and are okay. not projected to have two wins above replacement this season by either fan graphs or baseball perspectives. And so I named five and one was Nick Gordon who we've just talked about. Sure. And the other hitter I named was Larnick. Like I, I 100% believe that if he can stay healthy, he's going to be, you know, kind of a prototypical number five hitter, 260, 20 something homers, bunch of walks. I think he's a better defender and base runner than people give him credit for because of his size. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Gallo, I'm not super optimistic about. I don't think it's impossible that he gets back to where he was uh, in 2021 and, and previously for the Rangers, in which case, yeah, he's a perfectly solid middle of the order, you know, right. walks and power guy. And, you know, Kepler, I'm also pretty skeptical about, but 
there's some optimism because of the shift limitations and he's looked stronger, although now he's had some hip problems uh, in camp. So all of a sudden you need like probably two of those three right. to produce early on. Otherwise, you know, their three best hitters are righties. I mean, their three best hitters right now are Correa, Buxton, and Miranda. Right. And that's not the end of the world. I mean, that's right. that's great. That's could be your two, three, four. You're, uh, I don't know, two, four, five. I mean, whatever. You Although that's do. putting a fair amount of Miranda on a second. I yeah, mean, that, that's the one thing that worries me a little bit. But I, I actually agree. Miranda is one of my, you know, clicks to pick. There's uh, picks to click, picks to click, yeah. <laughs> clicks to pick. Uh, uh, one of my, I, I feel like he's headed for a breakthrough season, or I'm hopeful that he's he- heading for a breakthrough season. I think there's a lot of, you get the sense throughout that clubhouse that there's a lot of optimism about Jose Miranda this year. Yeah. I mean, I, Jose right. Miranda can hit like, I'm, I'm very convinced of that. He's going to hit. I'm less convinced. He's going to be a good third baseman. I'm less convinced, you know, is he going to have huge upside beyond what we saw kind of in the middle of last year, but he doesn't need to. I mean, if he just hits like he did from mid May through the beginning of September before he just kind of wore down, that's, you know, 275, 25 homers, bunch of doubles, doesn't strike out much. I mean, that's a that's a really good hitter. I mean, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think you can't, if Taylor's playing most days and you're platooning at second base and you got either Vasquez or Jeffers at catcher, obviously, there's going to be two or three spots in this lineup where you're like, I don't know what we're getting from this. Maybe we get decent production from that platoon at second base. Maybe Vasquez and, and Jeffers you know, have a pretty good numbers, at least relative to the catching position, I think is possible. You know, maybe Larnick really, you know, grabs hold of a job and never gives it back and right. all that. But there are definitely question marks that they had hoped not to have this early on. This looks say. much more like a lineup full of, if the answers are right, it's an above average offense. If the right. answers are wrong, it's a below average offense. Yeah. And I if it, and if and if we kind of break even, we're kind of in the middle there. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be above average. I just, I mean, they were above average last year, basically, right? I'm pretty sure they were. Um, September skews everything last year, right? So yeah, I know. But right. but I mean, I think they're an above average lineup. I just question, like, is there the upside to be a top five lineup or a top three lineup sure. or something like that? Which you know, I don't know about that. Now, if three months ago, I mean, three months from now. Kirilov's back and and Polanco's back and Ed right. Julian's the DH and you know I mean you can and, and keeping bucks in the DH has been healthy <laughs> has made, right. made I mean, him healthier right yeah the other question then is so I'm assuming Larnick will definitely I mean Larnick's going to be on the opening day roster he's essentially replacing sure. Kirilov which is fine lefty bats you know they've been kind of side by side coming up through the system for years in terms of who replaces Polanco like we talked about who will replace him in the lineup Right. And it's second base, but who replaces like literally takes his roster spot? It's gonna have to be somebody from the from the weird pile. Like it's gonna have to be somebody that no, we. Not it's not a forty man roster guy, right? Right, right. It's I somebody off it's, of the forty man roster. I would guess if I had to put money on it right now, which what a strange thing to have to put money on. Oh. Um, I would do it though. Uh, sure, uh, <laughs> I would <yeah>. too. <laughs> If you can come up with a line, I'll bet. Yeah. I've been in Vegas for four days. We just we just turned to the person next to us and say, "I've got 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it'll be Willie Castro uh, is yeah. my guess. Yeah, because not because I saw Soto got sent down yesterday. I was wondering yeah. if he was still in the play. Not because you, they you, think you think uh, Castro over somebody like Garlic. Well, that was the other one is Garlic. I think 
Willie Castro gives him a lot more defensive flexibility. He can play literally anywhere. Like he's yeah. not a good shortstop, but he can play like third. He can play second. He can play all the outfield spots. He's had a really good spring for whatever that's worth. I know neither of us really put too much emphasis on spring performance, but he's had a really good spring. He's a, a you know experienced major leaguer. I think he's played parts of four seasons in the majors with the Tigers. The Twins have seen a lot of him. I'm not real optimistic that he's like going to have a breakthrough. I think he's kind of a replacement level uh, utility man, basically. But that's kind of what they need right now. Like if Farmer's playing second and Gordon's playing second and they got Larnick and left and Gallo at first, they just need somebody who can provide like backup coverage at five spots or six spots. Now, you could also make the argument for Garlic, except looking at their schedule, I don't know how many lefties they're even going to face initially. Uh, early on and you're only going to use garlic as like a left fielder or dh against lefties which is a role that they haven't really filled um but you know we just talked about how they have a bunch of righties in the lineup i'm not as worried about that relative to you know having a backup that's third a fair, and a backup that's fair. so but here's another possibility that i'll leave out there you know they could just claim somebody off waivers as as teams are making last minute moves here. Like if all if literally all their because Castro's not on the forty man roster, so to add him to the opening day roster would require a forty man roster spot. Well, anybody they claim off waivers is the same thing. So you're going to be looking at the waiver wire over the next ninety six hours as teams are making their last minute cuts and going through the same debates that the Twins are going through right now of who's our thirteenth position player, who's our if some solid backup outfielder or some, you know, good hitting first baseman or whatever it is gets put on waivers or released or opts out of their minor league contract, which happens, I I could see the twins saying, all right, let's just put him on the roster. He's, he's our 26th guy. Or, but I would say Willie Castro is kind of the leader in the clubhouse with garlic being the other obvious possibility there. All right. I mean, um, I, I don't, I, I think, Personally, I, it feels to me like they've got enough backups and enough infield in spots. But yeah, Castro is somebody who definitely received a lot of playing time early. He has he has been the one who has continued to sort of stick around and you know make his way into lineups on a regular basis. He has you know he's also got to be clear, he's got some upside. I mean, he is twenty what six years old only, yeah, something like that. He's and, an old. He's a young veteran. Well, well and he, you know this was supposed to be his first year of arbitration when Tigers cut him loose. So they've got him under team control for three years. Like there's reasons to invest in Castro uh, outside of just, you know, outside of just, you know, because you want a, a, another infielder on the roster, right? right? Like there's I, reasons to to continue to give him at bats and opportunities and make him feel like part of the organization and so on and give him, give him at bats. So I think Castro is one of those guys I figure we've talked about this with a few players over the years where if there were no stats, you would think he was much better because you look at him and you go, all right, this guy's pretty fast. He's a pretty good athlete. He can drive the ball occasionally. He puts, he doesn't strike out a ton. He can play anywhere defensively, but then you look at the end of the year and it's like, Oh, he's got a 286 on base percentage (laughs) and a 375 slug. And it's like, what are we, what are we really talking about here? But I would, when they signed him, I think they viewed him as kind of a priority minor league signing. And what that means is like we're signing him probably for AAA, but he's one of those guys at the front of the minor league signing line, I think, just because of his experience uh, in the majors with the Tigers. So that's where they're at from a, I don't know, position player side, which I do agree with you that like it seems crazy to say, but I have more confidence in the rotation right now. Oh, that's my do. Yeah, there's no question. I have more confidence in the rotation. The question is whether or not they have. I have more confidence in the bullpen. 
yeah than I, I do like i feel like you are more confident in the bullpen than me probably i i don't think it's like a massive weakness like a, oh my god how can they enter the season like this right and again maybe this is just the ptsd from last year <laughs> yeah the bullpen was aside from duran just a mess for so much of last season but i i just i continue to be like they're one to me right-handed reliever short i like their lefties i mean i, I like caleb theobar has been great i think i'm a huge giovanni moran fan a believer right. and if danny coulomb is the last reliever as a lefty i he's a perfectly solid middle reliever who's pitched well when he's been healthy with the twins that's a, a good trio of lefties all of whom can get righties out if you want them to you don't have to kind of pigeonhole them into matchup based roles. I just, from the right side, you're asking a lot of Griffin Jacks, which he was one of my picks to click. I'm a huge, I'm, I'm, he was my number one pick to click. I think Griffin Jacks. He's been looking good this spring, boy. Yes, I mean he was really good last year. Right. I just, I look at the jump he made in terms of velocity and raw stuff and strikeout rate and all that in his first year as a reliever. I mean he didn't even resemble the guy that we saw the year before or the guy who was a marginal starter prospect uh, previous to that. And he's thrown even harder now. I had a good conversation with him one of my last days there where he's added a cutter that he likes and he feels even more confident with velocity and all that stuff. I just think he's a – his stuff has gotten to the point now where you go, I mean, this is guy throws 96 with a great slider. Like what right. are we – and right. I just think he's a very <laughs> smart guy who kind of embraces – tweaking stuff uh pitch mix wise and i just think you know he's got the military background and all that stuff that i just think he's he can he he's the one who can most change my, my view of this bullpen overall because you know duran obviously i think is amazing and right. i would actually bet on him ending up as more of a traditional closer this year i think they're just going to be it's going to be real tempting to just say you know screw it let's just have him close games yeah uh, it is gonna in be which tempting. case you're right jacks as your eighth inning guy can make or break a lot. Although I do think they're going to give Jorge Lopez a chance, but I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of him too. Uh, obviously Pagan, I'm no big fan of, uh, <laughs> I think Alcala being healthy could, could have a, a pretty huge impact on that, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, if Moran is as good as I think he's capable of being, like if he gets to his 80th percentile or 90th percentile outcome, I mean, he could be a seventh or eighth inning guy too. So, I mean, there's upside in this bullpen. Right. I just wonder, especially early on in the year, unless Lopez is really good, Jorge Lopez right. is really good right away. I think there's going to be a, a couple of weak spots that you're you're really counting on Duran just doing some real heavy lifting again. And maybe he can. He did it all last year. Right. But yeah, the the bullpen to me is the biggest question mark. I mean, health is the biggest question mark at this point sure. with everything. But right. Um, should we uh, should we uh, talk yeah, about ahead. our sponsor? Oh yeah, our, yeah. Our last couple sponsors, and then we'll go. I got some kind of season previewy questions. Uh, <laughs> I will give you uh, a uh, you know it is uh, I don't know we got snow coming on Thursday back in Minnesota. Is that what I saw oh, for God. for the yeah. for the opening day? Uh, that doesn't mean you can't start looking ahead to spring. And one of our favorite uh, sponsors for spring uh, as comes around is uh, Sunday. You know where you just they just absolutely take care of the biggest pain in the butt aspects of keeping a lawn every year. I say I'm going to have a better lawn this year, and then every year I get to the point where I've got to go and like uh, get the fertilizer, buy the fertilizer, and I've got to go get the spreader from the. I don't have my own spreader in the garage, so I've got to go and rent that from the hardware store. And am I setting the dial just right, or am I over nitrogening my 
I don't know any of that stuff. How would I know that stuff? Why do I, I have to think about it once a year? And if I don't do it, well, then in July, I'm like, why didn't you do that? You dummy. You should have gone and done that. Well, how about we just take care of all of that? We don't have to deal with any of it. All you do is you just go to Sunday or get Sunday, right? Is it get Sunday.com? Yes. Get Sunday.com right. slash Gleeman 20. Uh, and you can get, you enter in your address and they will give you a customized plan specific to your lawn in terms of the size of the lot, in right. terms of the type of soil, right. the type of uh, bugs that are found in the area. Like they'll right. customize it fully to you so that all you have to do basically is screw it onto your hose right? Uh, and you're ready to go and it'll right. do better than you would have ever done uh, on your you own. Just spray your lawn with the water. It's awesome. And, and do it now. And that way, when that first really nice weekend shows up and probably I'm guessing may at this point, it's not happening in March, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe sometime in April, right? You're just ready to go. You don't have to panic. You don't have to try and get them to rush, rush, send it to you. It's just sitting in the garage. It's just sitting there waiting for you. So here's the deal that they're offering. Gleaming the geek listeners. You go to get Sunday, Sunday, like the day of the week, S U N D A Y get Sunday.com slash Gleeman. Uh, and the reason it's, or slash Gleeman 20. So get Sunday.com slash Gleeman 20. And the reason it's Gleeman 20 is because you get 20% off. Uh, their True. full season plans started just $109 and you can get 20% off when you go to get Sunday.com slash Gleeman 20. And then our last sponsor uh, for the day is uh, one of our longest time sponsors, Harry's razors. One of my favorite like- things that I used to do in Vegas is I would go someplace over here and get the, uh, Get the razor shave. Hmm. I would go to a barber and get a razor shave because I could not believe how smooth my face could be when it had that kind of, you know, I haven't done it in three years. And the reason I haven't done it is because of Harry. Harry's razors. Uh, it tr- tr- turns out when you shave both with the grain and then again with uh, against the grain, and you're not afraid to shave against the grain because you know you've always got a sharp razor. It's a game changer in terms of how smooth your face ends up. Ask Chrissy. It is a game changer in how yeah, the, smooth my face is. The beauty of Harry's is you don't have to go to a store and talk someone into unlocking some case <laughs> to get it for you. Right. They'll ship it. They send it right to your door. It's neatly packaged. I always say it makes me feel like Don Draper when I open the kit, and it's like real fancy looking nice. The The quality of the razor is as good or even higher than typical that you're going to find. The price point is much uh, less expensive because they've kind of cut out the middleman. Uh, and if you're someone who like uses the same crusty old razor for like three years, just cause you're too lazy. Like I am right. to go get fresh ones. This is super easy. Like there's no need. Once the razor starts to go bad, get, they'll ship you a new one. Right. Uh, all that. And they're offering what they call the Truman shave trial set, which is a $15 value. And our listeners can get it three bucks they just go to Harry's, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com slash Gleeman. You get the five-blade German-engineered razor you get with the weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and you get the travel cover. Uh, plus, you can schedule out replacement blade delivery whenever you need them. Uh, refills are as low as 2 bucks. You just go to harrys.com slash Gleeman, 3 bucks for what is a $15 trial set to give it a try. Okay. Um, Let's see. I had one other... Uh... One other bullpen note. Uh, do, do we got a? I noticed they sent Dobnik down. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm, he's not in the. Do we still think that we're going to get a long reliever, or are you uh, you still dubious about whether or not we're going to see them? I mean, it's yeah, got to be Sands at this point, right? He's the only one left in camp that we thought was a real candidate to be the. I mean, it's Hoffman still in, in camp. Yeah, it could be Hoffman. I still think Danny Coulomb has a pretty good chance to make the bullpen, not as a long reliever, just in general. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit. I don't know. I feel like we've spent. In, in way too much time amount of time talking, <laughs> talking about, about the, the 26th last, spot on the roster right the now. last reliever particularly because the twins have shown and many teams take this approach it's not to say it's not locked in that last both like they're going to use somebody for two innings and right. then send them down and right. call somebody else up but yeah right. I, I would yeah. say that's the group uh that's in the mix i i guess you know we talked about pablo lopez i don't know we talked plenty about the wbc obviously it ended on the highest of high notes, the uh, Trout Otani for the whole <laughs> damn, for the whole damn thing was pretty was pretty great. Yeah. Would have been better with like a runner on second. Yeah. That, I mean that was if you would have said right up an ending for the WBC, uh, you know Otani throwing one hundred one one hundred one and then an eighty seven mile an hour slider <laughs> to strike out Mike Trout as the game tying run in the bottom with, of the ninth with, with the full count three two pitch yeah true. <laughs> top of the ninth I should say yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean that was that was an incredible drama I think that tournament. It was good all the way through, but it just it ramped up at the end. I thought was was awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, I, there's still people who are like, I don't care and all that stuff. But you know, if you watched it, I'll bet you enjoyed it. And you know, I think they said already, definitely coming back in 2026. You got guys like Trout saying, I'm in, and I'm going to try to recruit some of our star pitchers to be in it. All that stuff. So yeah, right. I know the the WBC was a lot of fun. A lot of twins like Pablo Lopez, which got me started on this topic again. Uh, were involved at Julian, played great for Canada. They had half the Puerto Rican team. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was great. Um, I don't know. I, I guess we could finish on just some like bigger picture. Some of which we've already discussed, just by way of news and notes and stuff. But uh, season previewy type of things. Uh, since this yeah. is our last chance to uh, pontificate before it becomes a moving target, you know what I mean? This is our last chance to. Uh, well, it sits still while this sure, sure, sure. Still. this is sure. our last chance to do. Okay. Uh, so I can just run down some of these and just we can, I don't know, banter uh, about these. We talked a little bit about the lineup, you know, the the young talent coming in Lee, Lewis, Julian, Walner, Mar- Martin, some other guys. Right. Um, you know, Larnick is probably still in that group. Kirloff, if he's healthy, is still in that group. For that matter, Miranda is still kind of in that group. Uh, you know, I think that's what hopefully differentiates this core group from last year's core group, which is when the injuries hit last year, it was Mark Contreras and uh, Caleb Hamilton and guys like that. I think if and when more injuries hit now, first of all, they've got guys like Farmer and Taylor to fill in, which is an upgrade over last year. But then if more come, you know, to be able to call up Ed Julian ready right. or not and be like all right now you're a left-handed bat in this lineup at second or first or dh or whatever it is not many teams have guys like that waiting in the wings i mean it, we kind of took it for granted during much of the guardy era that there was always these guys one or two guys kind of waiting in the wings to step up and that was one of the biggest drivers of their consistency their success during that for era. sure which I mean, is well, it, especially especially i think early in like it, it, early on like 2001 to 2005, 2006, yeah. you know, I used to say AL Central is almost always a war of attrition that, you know, 
team players do get hurt. And the question is, you know, do you have the backups and the prospects and the role players that come in and, you know, don't have to dominate. They don't have to become stars, but they have to produce in the role that they are given. And last year, I felt like that was one of the keys to the twins hanging around as long as they did through August until it just became too much. Right. If I take a look at this year's team, you know, what I worry about is that we're already looking at, you know, what happens if the backup gets hurt? What happens if another starting player gets hurt? We already sort of at that point where we're like, we're starting to look at backups to the backups and it's not yet March or 30th yet. Like it's not yet opening day. Yeah. But I do feel strong. Like, like you said, you know, you've got the, enough other prospects kind of sitting out there. You know, we haven't mentioned Matt Walder. Uh, you know, also another left-handed bat that could be, that could end up filling in out there. They do have some, they do have some options and we haven't really dove into all the different pitching options they have sitting in, in the minor leagues right now. It's sitting in St. Paul. So even if, even if the injuries continue to be an issue, I do feel like this team has enough depth to maybe outlast some of the other teams that are. Yeah. Yeah, if the if the other teams don't aren't the second least uh, hurt team in Major League Baseball, uh, you know some of that's going to catch up with them. And I mean the 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 danger with pro, like prospects is, and we've seen this over the years. You say to yourself, "Well, if a bunch of guys get hurt, they'll just call up Julian." Well, if Julian call, gets called up and hits one eighty for a month, right? That doesn't really help anything. The the hope with guys like Farmer and Taylor and that type of and Solano is that their floor is higher right. than a, a totally unproven young player. Because sometimes right. totally unproven young players, even if they are going to go on and become very good players, their initial taste of the majors, sure. there is really no floor. Like once in a while, you'll just see somebody go like two for 30 and you'll just be like, this guy's unplayable right now. Well, take we'll a look at back. Take a look at Miranda last year. Right. I mean, exactly. Miranda's first month and a half, he was brutal. Yeah. And uh, maybe a month and a half, but maybe it was a month, month and a half. And suddenly he caught it. He figured it out. And right. uh, then he tore it up for a while. So, And, and uh, Larnick, the, the, Larnick had happened to. Kirillov had happened to. Like, right. And that's the purpose of, of the veteran depth as opposed to just turning. The purpose is twofold. One is if you turn first to the veteran depth and then to the young depth, you have three layers of depth instead of just two. Right. Like yeah. if if – Guys, if Kirloff and Polanco were beginning the year on the injury list and it was already Julian and Walner replacing right. them, yeah. which it could very well be, like just positionally, right. then you go, well, who's the next guy? Like, what if someone gets hurt next week? Who are they down to? And then it's Willie Castro playing, you know, regularly or something like that. But then the other benefit is, and this isn't always true. I mean, veteran guys are capable of hitting one sure, difference yeah, for a month, too. Absolutely, but yeah. The, but the conventional wisdom, at least, or the hope, at least, is there's a there's a more established level of production even on the low side for a guy like Kyle Farmer or a guy like Michael Taylor versus even a good prospect a good prospect even getting their feet wet sometimes they just sink like sometimes right. Right. so I, I I do think that's they're in a relatively strong position there not that they have the greatest farm system but just that the overwhelming majority of their top like ten prospects are double A or higher or half of them I've already gotten a little bit cup of coffee in the majors the other question that I feel like they talked about early in camp I know Dan Hayes and I wrote an article about this is the idea of like improved 
defense, but then also right. base running. Yeah. And the the problem well, I guess you can take these separately, but like the problem with the defense is well now Buxton's a DH. Okay. Taylor's your center fielder. There isn't a drop off there. But we were kind of thinking, well, if you have Buxton in center against a lefty, you might have Taylor in left or right. Right. In which That's case right. you got elite, elite, elite defense. Well, now you have Taylor in center, Buxton's at DH. Gallo, who's a two time gold glove corner outfielder, is going to be at first base probably <laughs> quite yep. a bit. Now they yep. think he's going to be really good at first base too, but I don't think he's going to, I might not win a gold glove there. Right. And then you got Larnick, who's a good defender, but he's not, gold he's not glove a bad defender. Defender. Right. 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 And, you know, infield wise, Miranda, I don't think is going to be a huge strength at third. I think Correa is a big strength at shortstop. But then we were just talking about now they got Gordon possibly being the primary second baseman, which is going to be below average, probably at least the strong average. side of the platoon. Yeah. Right. And then for, you know, so catcher is, is going to be vastly improved because Christian Vasquez is a better thrower uh, right. than, than Ryan Jeffers. I think the outfield is going to be really good, whether it's Taylor or Buxton in center, because Kepler's a really good right fielder. Uh, Gallo, when he's in left field or right field, is very good. Larnick is is pretty solid too. Um, but the infield, I don't think, is has the potential, especially without Polanco, to be really good. I think that has the potential to be okay uh, if Miranda is better than I anticipate. The outfield will be good. Catcher will be good. I don't view this as like a potentially elite defense like I did no. a month ago, maybe. It, it could be a strength of the team, but I don't know that the yeah. defense was that big of an issue last year even. Like their uh, defense wasn't great, but it wasn't a big issue for them last year, I don't think. At the beginning of camp, you know, there was so much emphasis by Rocco to to emphasize the non-power game of baseball, right? The the to get away from sort of the bomba squad mentality that right. was going on, whether it was talking about pitching or defense or base running, right? And you know, on the one hand, I took that as okay. Well, there's that. That's an emphasis in part because of the rule changes that are going on, right? It, I think actually there's two things. I thought it was the rule changes, but I also thought they just recognize that the ball ain't going to be juiced. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what the ball is going to be like this year. We don't know where it's going to end up. I'm hoping it's not quite as crazy as last year, but the thought process is we've got to be able to win even if the ball isn't juiced, right? Uh, that we have to be able to, and I and I agree with that. But my question was sort of like, can this team really do that? Like, can this team right. be a pitching and defense and base running team? I think you and I might have talked about it. Maybe we talked about it on the on a podcast, or maybe we talked about it just in spring training. Like, is that really the makeup of of this team? I'll just add a third part to that because I also, you know, I thought about the base. Right, about three weeks late after you know, camp started, I asked Michael Taylor a little bit, like, how's the how's the thought process about stealing some more bases this year going? Like, you can, he's like, well, I haven't tried it yet, so I don't think it's going real great. Right. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. So I just, I I just, I just want to wonder how much of that was sort of uh, first week of camp. I want to set a tone and that tone is going to be that we're not just going to sit back and hit home runs. So we're going to emphasize all of the other stuff just to kind of set that tone for the team. But that there's a difference between setting a tone like that and actually going out and, 
continually re-emphasizing that and building your identity around that. And I don't think right. this team is ready to build their identity around and that. I think it, it is valuable to set a tone like that. And it is you can make some changes in approach, whether it's base running, whether it's defense. Sure. I mean, I, I do think the pitching is going to be better. Right. The defense should be good and better. Yep. But like I think base running is a prime example of what we're kind of talking about, which is it's great to say we sucked at base running last year. Like, <laughs> we're not going to suck this year. Yeah, we've we sucked in several Paul years Molitor. in a row, really. <laughs> well, right, but they were like awful, awful <laughs> right, last year. Right. We brought in Paul Molitor as our base running uh, coach. We you know got rid of Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, who were their two slowest players. You know, we added Michael Taylor. We're going to do base running drills more than we ever did before every day early in, in camp and all that stuff. And I think that can all have an impact. But, you know, it's easier said than done. And if you look at this roster, you know, the, the 13 position players who are likely to make the team or even Kirilov and Polanco, if you want to include them as, you know, being part of the mix within a few weeks, let's say. They're they're not a fast team. And no, the only, they're not. No. The only like actually above average speed hitter or position player that they added this entire offseason is Taylor. Right. And you know Taylor could steal 15, 20 bases. He's a good runner. He's fast. He's a smart runner. I don't but, think he can, by the way. But go go ahead. I mean, I'll <laughs> well, he's thirty four, thirty five years old, right? No. 33? 31. 31? Is he that young? Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, he is thirty one. Thirty. Oh. 32 tomorrow. Okay. All right. So well, he's close. He's yeah, getting okay. close. Good enough. Like, like if he has three more birthdays next week, like 32 okay. tomorrow, 33 <laughs> on Monday, then he'll be. Whatever. All right. You know, I th- I'll take the over on like 10 steals for him. But like you go up and down this lineup, like the catcher spot, they're not fast. Vasquez and Jeffers, neither of them are fast. You know, Kirloff, not fast. Uh, Polanco's out of there, and when he comes back, he's above average speed. But now we're talking about a guy who's had ankle yeah, problems. He's not going to be stealing, no. right? Carlos Correa is one of the slowest shortstops you will ever find. He's you know averageish speed, but he's not. He never steals well, bases. Yeah, he just said he says outright in his training, "I will not be stealing any bases this year." So right, uh, Miranda very slow and not right. a good base runner. Um, you know, obviously Buxton is a great base runner. He's one of the fastest guys. He's a incredible base dealer has literally the highest stolen base percentage in the history of baseball. He's when he's healthy, he going first to third, hell going first to home uh, on singles sometimes. I mean, sure. he's incredible, but you know, he barely runs yeah. steals anymore because right. they've decided it's not worth the, the risk. And, you know, we saw last year, if his knee's problematic, he's fast, but he's not the fastest right. anymore. You know, Solano is 35 and slow. <laughs> Kyle Farmer is, you know, average speed at best. Nick Gordon's pretty fast. Not a great base runner. I would say. <laughs> no. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think he's the one guy on the team who views that as part of his identity, though. Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I think uh, he... the, the two other like the corner guys, Gallo and Kepler, I think are kind of similar in that neither of them are fast, fast. But they're both good base runners. Like they're both aggressive right. when you want them to be aggressive. Gallo has a really good reputation as a base runner. Although I will also point out that his sprint speeds have tumbled quite a bit over the last like three years, which often happens in the late twenties sure. for players. But I mean, we just went through basically the whole group here. Larnick, reasonably fast, but not a burner right. or anything. We just went through like 15, 18 guys. Those are the position players you're going to see early on right. in the season. There's maybe like. Two or three, you would say, are fast. Uh, you know, Buxton, Taylor, 
uh, I don't Gordon maybe, but the majority of those guys are average at best. And there's you know three or four of them who are just downright slow. Plus the the catching duo is always going to be downright slow. And I so I just wonder like, it's great to emphasize it. You know, just removing Hilberto Celestino from the mix is going to create far fewer <laughs> you know head slapping mistakes on that front. So that'll right, help. Fair, but. I mean, this is a, but Arise was a smart base runner. Yeah, Arise was a good base runner, not super fast, but a good no. base runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I look at this team and I go, it'll be better than it was last year as base running. I mean, it, it can't be as bad, um, but I don't see that being a strength. I just no. don't. And my actually my worry with them is if they really try to push the aggression on the bases, and I don't necessarily even mean steals. I mean they'll steal right, more yeah. often, but. No. Um, if they really try to push the aggression, what you're going to get is a lot of dudes thrown out at home, a lot of dudes thrown out at third, and then a lot of post games like, hey, that's our identity. We're going to push the envelope. We're going to try to do this. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I look at this team, and it's like you see this in the NBA sometimes where a coach will be like – a new coach will take over, and he'll be like, we're going to play a hard-nosed, tough brand of basketball. Right. We're going to defend, and we're going to rebound, and you know, you're not going to get to the – and then you look at the roster, and you're like – who on this roster is going to do right. that? This ain't the bad boy Pistons. Like, what are we talking right. about? And so that's kind of how I see the the Twins right now is like, it'll be a better base running team, but this is not a fast team by any means. So I, I take a look at it. I, you know, I, I, listen, it's one thing to say that's going to be, you know, we want to emphasize that in spring training. You know, sooner or later, you have to just have to have players that identify themselves as that kind of a player. They don't have a lot of that kind of players out there. Um, I would say, as far as pitching and defense and base running goes, what I would suggest, sort of the, the components of small ball, right? This, this seems like this. I mean, I would look at this as good pitching. What they're really hoping for is very good pitching, competent defense, like maybe a little better than competent defense, good Make the plays you're supposed to, to make yeah. and make them even if the other team is being particularly aggressive. Continue make the, making those plays. You know, get make let the other team run it themselves into outs or steal themselves into outs, something like that. And from a base base running standpoint, it's take the extra base when it's there. Don't don't yeah. don't screw up when they are giving you something. Right. But this well, team isn't going. This team isn't going to be forcing other teams into errors and working themselves around the bases. That's not going to happen with this. Yeah. Team. No, I agree. Uh, let's see. We talked a little bit about the rotation just to kind of put a bow on that. You know, it's, it's deeper. It's not just though competent depth. I think it's really high quality depth. I mean, to me, what we often talk about as rotation depth is more guys like Dylan Bundy who, Oh, this is a veteran guy. He'll give you a league average ERA. He won't blow up a lot. You know, that's what the twins have often viewed as rotation depth going back to the you know, Levon Hernandez, Ramon Ortiz, Sidney Ponson, they often targeted guys like that. And I still going recently, Jay Happ, Matt Shoemaker, Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy. That's kind of what we've come to regard as rotation depth, which is like semi-competent fifth starters who have experience. This year's group is not that. Like I, I think they have depth in that they have six or seven good starters. Right. But I mean, who's their worst starter? Their worst starter right now might be Maeda coming back from surgery, who's a former runner up for the Cy Young and, you know, pre surgery was one of their best starters. You know, Ober, I think, has a chance to be a mid rotation starter or better. Joe Ryan's already out at that level. 
Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez, I say, are, are solid number two starters. Maui, if healthy, could be the best pitcher in the bunch. I'm just pretty skeptical about that still. But the the thing I think you're going to see twofold is if an injury strikes, they still have Ober, they still have Louis Varlin, they still have Simeon Woods Richardson. They have some guys to fill in before you get to the Chichi uh, Gonzalez uh, call-up type of guys. But then beyond that start to start, the biggest complaint of last year, it was constant, like to the point that it was like, you know, uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson in uh, The Shining, just writing uh, what, no, all work and no play. Is why can't the starters go deeper in starts? And it got to the point where people were like, why trade for Pablo Lopez if Rocco is just going to pull him in the third inning? And it's like, you guys got that backwards. Like I'm right. not, I'm not saying it's going to be Tom Kelly managing Jack Morris in the World Series or anything, but <laughs> the reason they pulled starters early is because so many of their starts were made by Archer and Bundy and Devin Smeltzer and all these right. guys, and th- they were pulling them early because they felt like that was their best chance, and it allowed them to avoid inevitable blowups by those same starters if they right. were pressed into a third or fourth time through a lineup. Well, this group was just much different. I mean, yeah. yeah. Might they pull Sonny Gray earlier than Sonny Gray would like? Yeah, probably. Right. He's been vocal yeah, about that. But to me, the goal is six to seven innings in a good start in the year 2023 in Major League Baseball. And people might hate that, but that's how all teams pretty much right. view it. And I think the Twins are not dissimilar from that if they have the horses. And I think this year they have the horses. And I think people are going to hopefully see a lot more six and seven inning starts instead of four or five inning starts. And they're going to be like, Oh, Rocco learned from last year. No Rocco now has Pablo Lopez instead of Devin Smeltzer. Rocco now has, you know, Bailey Ober as his six starter instead of, I don't even know who the hell they're guys they called up last year. And so I think that's going to be one of the bigger differences. And my hope is, well, I'm like, we talked about, I'm a little more skeptical than you about the bullpen. Well, the bullpen hopefully will not be as needed. They will not have to carry as much weight and take on as literally as many innings. If Pablo Lopez is going, you know, six plus innings to start and Joe Ryan is going six plus a start and Sonny Gray is going six plus a start. I think that that sort of meaty underbelly of the bullpen, which is like innings five through seven will be hopefully less exposed and you can rely less on the Pagans of the world and more on, Griffin Jacks and Thielbar in Duran. So I think so, it's going to have domino effects that I The was. concern on that is of the veterans who are, you know, coming back from injury, right? Whether it's, whether it's sunny, I mean, not so much sunny gray, but Tyler Malley, Kenta Maeda, et cetera. How much do they want to gamble right. on pitches 70 through 90, right? Yep. <laughs> on these guys. And, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I feel like they're they're not that comfortable with Kenta Maeda right now on pitches 70 through 90. I don't know how comfortable they're going to be with Tyler Malley on pitches 70 through 90. And even though these guys aren't supposed to profile, and, and let's be realistic, they don't really profile as uh, you know Dylan Bundy slash Chris Archer types that you know, you're going to have to be careful uh, with that. You're hoping for quite a bit more from them than that level. We'll have to see. How much they re- we we will start to get a sense of how much they really trust them. Have we heard anything more about the six man rotation or about uh, them still no. bringing Ober in? We haven't no. heard anything, Ober, yet, right? Ober is literally pitching right now. I know he is. I saw yeah. that, and I saw Maeda was piggybacking with uh, 
somebody oh, the other day in the yeah, game yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, there hasn't been much more about that. I'm still assuming it'll be a five man rotation, but and over yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, that actually Doe sending me that nerdy spreadsheet. One of the variations he sent me had Ober <laughs> starting the second game of the season and then being sent down, sent down. after, which would then push back everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's obviously they're not going to do that. They announced that it'll be Sonny Gray in game two of the season. But yeah, that's, I don't know. The Ober thing is a big question mark. I'm a big believer in Ober at this point, especially he looked really good this spring. Was he one of your clicks to pick? Picks to click? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. I can say it. I published the article five days. Right. It was uh, Griffin Jacks, Nick Gordon, Bailey Ober, Trevor Larnick, Giovanni Moran. Those were the five. Okay. All right. All right. Like you mentioned Miranda, but. I was Moran trying to was, get you, you mentioned the two position players. I was like, I'm, I'm here's my bets. Right. Here's my guesses on the three pitches. But he was, I did not have Moran in there. I probably should have. Miranda was ineligible because he he's already over two. Had more than two wins per replacement last year and is projected to have more than two wins per replacement. Like anybody can be like, oh, I expect Carlos Correa to have a huge year. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah. And it, yes, I'm, I mean, not, I, I'm not I, saying I'm I don't, I don't, I don't just like the filter that you gave at the rules. I yeah. would say that you know something about like somebody who's going to increase their war total by at least a full run and a half or something over or over fifty sure. percent something like that. You know. Yeah, I'm not saying that like picking Griffin Jacks or Bailey Ober or Larnick or something is like on the world's biggest limb, like, <laughs> but it is sure. some projection involved. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I also expect Ed Ed Julian to be really good too, but I mean, who doesn't at this point? Like, that would have been a bolder <laughs> statement a month right. and a half ago, right? Uh, exactly. Than it is now. Yeah. Um. Okay, so a couple more just things, and we'll finish up here. But uh, we talked about the bullpen. To me, the issue with the bullpen is just talent, like healthy talent. Like, do they have enough Alcala and Moran and maybe Ronnie Henriquez at some point early in the season, uh, you know, to avoid relying on Pagan, to avoid relying on, you know, fill in the blank? Uh, Potentially, yes. If all that goes well and, you know, your high leverage work is Duran, Griffin Jacks, Theobar, a healthy Alcala, Moran breaking through. I mean, they have the potential to do it. They just don't have as much kind of healthy established guys, which is fine. I mean, I don't know that they've done all that well bringing in healthy established relievers. You know, Joe Smith last year, Cole May the year before that, uh, Pagan being an right. example of that. So maybe just going with guys like Alcala and Moran and Henriquez and, you know, roll the dice. They have more upside at least. Um, let's see the catching duo, which is one of the bigger changes. I feel like because it happened three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. That is fair. kind of, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, by the wayside, there, there are a lot of off seasons where that would have been the biggest move that the twins made, right? Like they go and they signed, they signed a uh, catcher for 30 mil, yeah, years, 30, $30 million dollars over three years. That's a fairly significant signing. For for almost any team, really, and uh, yeah, we just basically paid no attention to it. <laughs> yeah, so Vasquez, Christian Vasquez, who's a longtime Red Sox catcher, will be the opening day starter. He was away from camp with Team Puerto Rico because he was their starting catcher. Hit a big home run right. for them too in the WBC. Uh, you know, there's some question about how are you going to divvy up that playing time? Is it going to be more? So I, I think Doe three weeks ago when I was there, asked it in this way, which I thought was good, which is will will who's starting at catcher on a given day be dependent on that player's matchup against the opposing pitcher 
in other words, who they think is the best offensively for that day, like Vasquez or Jeffers, but they're both right-handed pitchers, or who you want to pair with your own starting pitcher more. Right. In other words, will Jeffers be paired with, I don't know, Ober and Maui or something? Like, will will there be sort of right. personal catchers uh, like that? Will you, for instance, last year, Gary Sanchez, not a good defensive catcher, although he was less abysmal than I expected, but not good. Right. They often paired him with Joe Ryan and or Bailey Ober because those guys they deemed the easiest to catch. Joe Ryan, early in the season, all he did was throw fastballs. How hard is that to catch, basically? Um, And and so they kind of tried to find the least bad fits for Gary Sanchez. Now, Brian Jeffers does not require that. Brian Jeffers is a really good defensive catcher except for throwing. Right. And I realize some people are going to think that's like an absurd statement, but <laughs> but like he's he's a he's decent at blocking pitches. He's really good at framing pitches. The pitchers speak well of him in terms of game planning and game calling. He just doesn't have a, a strong arm. Right. Um Vasquez has one of the now he's a little older so his arm is not quite as strong as it used to be, but one of the better arms of the last decade among among regular catchers. Uh pitch framing numbers aren't quite as strong as Jeffers, but they're solid really good blocking pitches and then just gets tons of praise for, you know, game management, game calling, game planning, whatever you want to call that stuff. My question with that is like, okay, it's two right-handed hitters, but we saw that with Jeffers and Garver or last year with Jeffers and Sanchez. It's hard to like mix and match when they're very similar uh, stylistically, offensively at least. My assumption is it's going to be Vasquez as sort of your traditional starting catcher like two thirds of the time, let's say. And then Jeffers one third, you know, 30 to 40% of the time Jeffers with most of those starts for Jeffers coming against left-handed pitchers. Because that's at least the one thing he's proven he can do is hit left-handed pitchers. Now it sucks for Vasquez that you're, because Vasquez is a right-handed hitter too. So he would love to face as many lefties as possible, but he's shown less of a extreme platoon split. He's less advantaged against left-handed hitters. So if you want to give Jeffers a role where he can kind of work his way into the mix and give him matchups that are favorable to him, I think it would be him versus most lefties. Once we get, if we get, Buxton back out in center field, I can see where that would be, you know, Jeffers starting at DH versus uh, left-handers on a pretty regular basis. I thought going into this, presuming that, Buxton was going to be playing mostly center field this season, right? That was kind of one of, I thought Jeffers was going to have probably a more starts at DH than I, than I think people were anticipating that he brings that, you know, his, his right-handed bat plays real well versus those lefties. So one way or the other, you want him in that mix and that's fine. If, and, and if you still want Vasquez behind the plate, great, go ahead. Yeah. Let's have Jeffers right. bring the big right-handed bat over into that spot. So, yeah, that'd be fine. Okay. I think that would make some sense. Um, let's see. Talked about injuries. Uh, okay, here's a good place that kind of brings a bunch of the stuff we've talked about together, which is this is something we talked about endlessly during the Terry Ryan era. And <laughs> I think we've talked about it quite a bit, particularly when it comes to the bullpen during this regime, the last three to five years, which is how quickly are they willing to admit defeat on some decisions 
<laughs> with veteran players, especially. Right. And turn to. You have somebody in mind in the bullpen? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. Well, you know what? Yeah, let's talk about it. I will, I'm not going to name names. Let's call him E. Pagan. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. That reveals. Let's call him Emilio P. <laughs> Just to keep things anonymous. Do you know what I mean? No, but right. like we saw it with Colome. We saw it with Pagan last year, obviously. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, we've seen it with some starting pitchers, Matt Shoemaker, Jay Happ type of thing. You know, it's always subjective. Like they did ditch Matt Shoemaker relatively quickly, but it was not quickly enough. Right. And and, and that was a, a weakness, I would say, of the Terry Ryan regime, which is they always had a pro- like they stuck with Juan Castro for like two years at shortstop and let Jason Bartlett hit like 320 at short at Rochester for like two years. Like it's always subjective, but I think it's one thing to smartly stockpile depth, Taylor farmer, you know, on and on that type of guy, even some bullpen guys. Cause you know, Pagan is depth. He's veteran depth. Yes, he is. Uh, But, and it's great to, as we talked about a few minutes ago, have, Lee and Lewis and Julian and Walner and Martin and on and on and on and, and Louis Varlin and Simon Woods Richardson, all these guys in the minors waiting in the wings. You know, the, the reinforcements are just a call away. It's great to do all that. And sometimes injuries are just going to make the decision for you. Correct. Where it's like, there's no, that almost becomes of, fortunate way to make it, to, to right. get it. In there. Right. It's right. like, yeah. we're down two corner outfielders. Walner's coming up versus you're healthy, but one of your, you know, Joey Gallo's hitting 170 or Max Kepler's hitting 210 or whatever. Right. Then it's a much tougher call to be like, are we ready to part ways with this veteran and call up Matt Walner? Or, you know, if if uh, Farmer and Solano and Gordon are not getting it done at second base, right? are we ready to part ways with one of those guys that we brought in as veteran depth, a, a established, you know, good reputation veteran and call up at Julian to play second? Those are much tougher decisions when you have to actually make them as opposed to just injuries make them for you. And so right. that I th- feel like, and I feel like over, if they don't start with a six-man rotation and they end up sending over to AAA, or even if he begins the year as a long reliever somehow, well, what happens if Maeda's first four starts go really badly? Right. And his velocity is bad. Or two. Yeah, <laughs> his well, first right. two starts. And, right. and so I think that is one of the, the biggest key to this season is the same as the biggest key to last season, which is injuries and depth. But then within that, I think this season presents a particularly, you know, important I don't know, pivot points for them or decision points for them of, all right, we got all this veteran depth, but when do we decide we've gotten right. enough out of them? Yep. And when do we decide, all right, let's bring up the, the youngsters. Like let's, yep. whether it's Royce Lewis in June or July, somebody's going to have to go for Royce Lewis. Somebody at some point is going to go for Ed Julian. Somebody at some point probably going to go for Matt Walner. Like you have all these guys, you know, Louis Varlin, they're going to let Louis Varlin win a third straight minor league pitcher of the year award, or are they going to bump somebody from the rotation for him at some point? And Ober, obviously the same thing, like over, Ober deserves to be in the rotation now. So right. to me, that's like one of these, you'd like to think that that'll go smoothly and they'll just kind of gradually incorporate a different youngster every four weeks or something like that. And then at the end of the season, you look at the lineup and the, the lineup's got three rookies producing right. and the two in the bullpen and all that, but that's not really how it's going to go. And so that's one of the unanswerable questions that I have, which is like when push comes to shove and if injuries don't make the decisions for you, 
when do you ditch a Donovan Solano for an Ed Julian? Or when do you ditch a Kenta Maeda for a Bailey Ober? Or when do you ditch an Emilio Pagan for Ronnie Trevor McGill or whatever? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. So, but I don't know, like, how do you predict that? And I don't even think they know how they they'll predict that. But. There's two. There's two. There's two. Two stories to kind of. I guess three stories to follow that. The first is sort of you know how are the veterans doing, and then jointly with that is. How's the potential replacement doing? You know, is somebody, you know, is Julia just tearing it up in triple right. A and you're like, it's time to find this guy a spot, you know, right. or, you know, similarly, you know, Giovanni, Mar- Giovanni Moran doesn't make the roster and he's tearing it up down there. And you're like, oh, boy, that's sure would trust him more in the seventh spot than uh, Emilio Pagan at this point. Um, so that's the, the first one. It's sort of that sliding scale between the two as to, you know, well, how much do I trust this guy versus how much do I trust that? It's different the, if if Ed Julian is have a you know hitting three hundred with a four fifty on base percentage at AAA, yeah. versus if Ed Julian's just hitting like two fifty right. and drawing some walks. Where it's not bad, but th- he doesn't really push the push the issue. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to be that hasn't seemed to be sort of the problem. <laughs> well, sometimes that is the problem. I mean, I would argue that that was the biggest problem with Chris Archer last year. You know, with with some of the decisions that have been made, is that yeah we're seeing the veteran struggle, but we don't have the we don't have the replacement right now. For instance, with Emilio Pagan, I mean, I see guys in Triple A that I would probably pick over Emilio Pagan right now, but there's no like Jesus, we got to get this guy on the roster sitting there at Saint in Saint Paul. Like I've got to get McGill on this roster. Uh, you know, I'm probably lean. I probably pick him. All things being equal, I'd probably pick him over Pagan right now. Yeah. But, you know, there's right. there's concerns up over there, too. So that that has been part of the problem in the past. I thought I think actually think I actually think the twins probably haven't have received too much criticism sometimes on that. We see the guy performing poorly and he's a veteran and we know they spent money on him. And so we're like, we've got to replace him with a box of fruit, you know, whatever, whatever you can do, just get him off of this roster. Right. And you, you, they do have to actually think a little bit like, we, you know, we we do have to have somebody that's you're not fixing the problem if, if you, the new person comes up and also stinks. Right. Um, but then the other thing that I think you can be critical about with this organization is they don't like giving up on assets and how will they react when so many of their assets are on a one year contract and uh, you know, will they be more willing to cut bait, you know, if Walner is tearing it up and or Kirilov is tearing it up and Gallo is flailing, you know, how that they making that change on May 1st. Are they making that change by July 1st? Are they making that change by August 1st? Because that's that's generally when we've seen it happen, right? It's, it's been end of it's been middle of June. It's been somewhere between June 15th and August 31st. What's the over-under on when that when they are ready to give up on that contract. And I, I I would hope that given the sort of urgency that is surrounding this team this year and the level of expectations and also just the number of one year contracts that you've got on here that, and the depth that they seemingly have sitting at St. Paul, that they move that up from the July 1st to July 31st point to 
as early as May 15th to June 15th, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Obviously, if you're in first place or something like that, even if individual guys are struggling, you're a little more hesitant to to rock the boat. The way I would phrase it relative to the, the Ryan regime, I felt that most often under Ryan and, and Ron Garner, the twins were both hesitant to turn to position players until they felt they were like fully developed, whatever right. that meant. Yeah, right. And they were hesitant to ditch veterans out of like respect for veterans. Correct. Whereas I think this regime is hesitant to ditch veterans out of the respect for veterans. Although I think to your point, it's more about like maintaining depth uh, that way. I don't think they're as hesitant to call up prospects who maybe aren't fully developed, but it, it I don't know functionally that there's that much difference if you're still hesitant to, to ditch the veterans. Like right. I think this group is more willing to call up, you know, Miranda or, who, you know, fill in the blank with whoever, They've called up a decent amount of young players, pitchers and hitters, uh, over the past seven years or whatever. Um, I think they're more willing to do that. But if you're not more willing to ditch the current guys you have in that role, functionally, it doesn't really matter that you end up keeping guys at AAA past the point when you might call them up anyway because you didn't want to ditch Kent Maeda or you didn't want to ditch, right. uh, I don't know, Donovan Solano or whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, how that plays out. Okay, so... To end on, we both picked over. Do we both? We both gave win totals. You said eighty-seven. I said eighty-seven. You said eighty-eight. Yeah, I'm always more optimistic than you. I just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just took the prices right approach to. I, I was in general. You're just a much more optimistic guy than me. It's true. Um, <laughs> much more half full. Do we? Do we think we didn't really say? Are we? Do we want to say whether that will win the division or not? In our in our minds. These brilliant minds that we have, <laughs> these beautiful minds that yeah. you can all listen to for an hour and a half, or should we just leave that up to 50, 50? Cause I, I will be honest. I kind of view it as 50, 50. I think yeah, I put Cleveland it as 40%, is, 40%. I, which is still might oh, be the best of the T two teams. Yeah, I'm not, right? I wouldn't say the twins have a 50% chance to win the division because Chicago still has some chance, right? Um, you know, 15, 20%, something like that. I just mean between the Twins and Guardians, I do kind of view it as a coin flip. I think Cleveland is a really good team. I don't think Cleveland is capable of being a great team. And I think, you know, right. some some more randomness with injuries and all that will cut them down to size a little bit. I think similarly to the Twins, I think the Twins are a good team. I don't know that this Twins team is capable of being a great team, but I also think they'll have better injury luck, although you'd have You'd be hard pressed to come to that assumption or come to that conclusion <laughs> after listening to the, the show talk about all the injuries. Um, but yeah, I kind of view them both in the 85 to 90 win range, which uh, you would think logically 90 wins will win the AL Central. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And it probably will. So I guess I say the Twins will win 88. So really, it just comes down to, do I think Cleveland will win 87, 88, 89, 90, something like that? I just view it as kind of a, it's a cop-out, but I'll I view it as kind of a coin flip. I'll say no, they won't. I'll go, I'll go the safe Boy, route. You are so pessimistic. I am. Yeah, this, this injury news has got me annoyed. <laughs> maybe that's Jeez, it. Maybe man. I'm just reacting to the injury news of the week. What if we just choose today as the turning point for both of us on this show, and from now on, you become incredibly cynical and skeptical and sarcastic 
That's a good idea. And I just become the lover of life and people. Uh, what if we do that? Which which one of the two of us would have more trouble adjusting? Yeah. I don't think I could do what you do, Jess. I really don't. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do what you do. Yeah. But be an a-hole all day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll throw myself down the place. Life's so miserable. Yeah. I gotta stop. <laughs> I hope you. I hope you like cats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's uh, that's our official season preview. If you've made it this far into this podcast, I would argue that by definition, yeah. you should be signing up for the Patreon podcast. Absolutely. You've proven that you would like to hear us talk more twins. Uh, so go to Patreon.com/slash Gleeman. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Sign up. We got almost, I don't know, 4,000 people signed up. It's our kind of private club for a little off-the-record Twins talk, a little more in-depth discussion, some guests, some mailbag, drop a few F-bombs, talk about yeah. topics that we might not hit on in the in the weekly show. We would love to have you join us uh, for this season. It would mean an incre- it's the It's the best and easiest way to show support for this podcast. Sure. Because it means a lot to us, and you get extra episodes. Out That's of exactly right, yeah. Uh, well, thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, Sunday and Harry's and Forgotten Star all show up for opening day it's going to be awesome and Stathead to nerd out and uh, yeah we will I don't know exactly when the next episode will be it might be next Friday it might be next weekend sometime uh, and we will uh, talk to you then Cleveland.